Well, thank you, uh, worship team, and thank you, Justin, for that prayer, and uh, specifically, thank you for praying for One Community Church in New York City. Uh, as uh, those of you who are part of our church know, we are committed to helping other churches uh, be planted and replanted, and uh, we continue our five-year commitment to Anchor Church in Freeport as they continue to experience growth, and the Lord blesses them, and we began our partnership with One Community Church in Hell's Kitchen, New York City, uh, as they are in year two of uh, planting a church there, and so we continue to uh, look for opportunities. We're uh, looking at the potential of uh, partnerships with two other churches in our area, and uh, as God uh, continues to grow our church, we want not just to see our church grow, but to see the kingdom built. We have been in an incredible season of growth in many ways for our church, and I would encourage you to attend uh, Vision Night, which is next Sunday evening right here at 5 o'clock. Uh, on that evening, we will remember those who have gone to be with the Lord in the last year uh, and uh, honor their life and their commitment to our church, uh, but we'll also look at what the Lord is doing and talk about things that our leadership believes we need to be looking to as we think about the future. And so we'd love for you to be there. I also will remind you that next Sunday is the deadline to register for the Gospel-Centered Parenting Conference. It's a conference that will take place here the last weekend of February. In addition to having Pastor Paul Purvis, who's the president of the Florida Baptist uh, Convention, uh, we will also have uh, several breakouts uh, during that time on different issues uh, and uh, related to parenting. And so we'd love for you to be there. It's only $25 per person. Um, it'll be Friday night, Saturday morning. And then, of course, uh, Paul will be with us here on Sunday morning as well. We would love for you to be there. Not too long ago, I was sitting down with a guy for coffee and he began to talk to me about how he, even though he's been a Christian for 20 years, he found himself struggling with some of the same things that he has struggled with since before he was a Christian. And even he's found new sins in his life that he really didn't have back when he first became a Christian. And he was in agony about how he could continue to live this way. And he began to question, am I really saved a few weeks ago, I was talking on the phone with a pastor who was about my age, and he was expressing his frustrations with me about the church in which he was serving because there were many there who had been Christians longer than he had been alive, and yet there really didn't seem to be a lot of fruit in their life for what they proclaimed to believe. People who hated people who weren't like them, who, who thought different, or people who show up and sit in a pew but don't really contribute much in terms of action to the work of the church. And he began to question the salvation of the people who are in his church. And while there are different nuances to these issues, what I tried to do in both of those conversations is to help them be reminded of the gospel, of what saves, that it's not our actions, it's not what we do, it's not how much we progressed, it is the grace of Jesus Christ. And while I'm not saying these aren't tensions they need to work on in this man's life and in this church, remember the gospel. Today, that is what I hope you walk away with, is remembering the gospel. Remaining gospel-centered is a tension that will never go away in our individual lives or in the life of a church. It creates a tension because 
it's so easy to lean one way or the other into, hey, we need to do all these things and we're not saved if we don't do all these things and so let's really make sure we do all these things. Or the other way that says, who cares about all those things we should be doing? We're good. This lean is what is happening in Galatia. You can turn to the book of Galatians, chapter two, as we continue in uh, our journey through the book of Galatians. This is why Paul is confronting what's happening in Galatia. He's confronting a group of, that's called the Judaizers, who are insisting upon circumcision to be saved. Specifically, the, the Gentiles who didn't grow up in the Jewish faith and so they weren't circumcised now as adults but have to be circumcised to be Christians. And he's saying, if you're not doing these things, excuse me, they're saying, if you're not doing these things, then you're not saved. And so we've been reading about this and we'll keep reading. Galatians chapter two, verse 17 through 21 says this. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Through the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The first thing I want us to understand this morning is that we need to be justified. We need to be justified. Justification means to be declared just or to be declared as it ought to be, to be declared right. It means in the context of the scripture to be made righteous, right standing with God, right relationship with God. You and I legitimately need to be made right. We need to be justified or the wrath of God is upon us. In God's execution of justice, and he is a just God, there is wrath. So we need to be justified. But because we need to be justified, we want to feel justified. We want to feel justified. And here is where we start getting off track. When we focus more on that feeling of justification than we do on what actually justifies us. And this feeling or this desire to feel justified expresses itself through lawlessness and legalism which we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about over and over. Lawlessness. This is where someone says, if there is a God, then he or she or it, if they love anyone, they certainly love me. Or if you're Southern, you might say something like, 
me and God have a deal. So we say, I am justified and I don't need anyone to tell me what to do or how to live. There's this popular view of love that goes along with this that says, accept me for who I am regardless of what I do. It's a kind of love that would have a parent saying to their child, you want to play in the street? Play in the street. But that rule not to play in the street is because I love you. A little parenting advice, it is very good to help our children understand the reason that we have these rules is because we love you. That's something I try to do with my children. You know why I say that, right? You know why this is. And like, yes, gosh, dad, of course I know. <laughs> Not saying which one. <laughs> but I want them to understand these rules are because I love you. Lawlessness says, I'm going to avoid a real relationship with my father in order to feel justified, in order to feel okay about who I am and how I live my life. And so they feel justified. Now in legalism, it's the same, except now we've got to keep all these rules to be justified or to feel justified. And we say, if you don't preach rules, if you don't teach rules, people will just abandon all the rules, and they'll do whatever they want. And there's a little bit of truth in that, but what happens is a confusion about what saves. And what happens is we begin to practice and emphasize behavior modification. That becomes what the aim of the church is, what the aim of the believer is here. Legalism says, let's do everything we think God says in order to avoid a real relationship with him. It's like saying to your spouse, give me the list of things you want me to do so I can accomplish that list and keep you happy without getting to really know your spouse. If we keep these laws, then we don't really have to let him have his way in our life. And what happens here, almost always, is then that person or that group of people begin to neglect some big things. This is why we have racist Christians. We do all these Christian things, so it's okay that we hate people of a different skin color or from a different background. This is why we have materialistic Christians. It's okay that we um, do this because we do check off these boxes. This is why we have Christians who never serve. I, I give, I do these things, so I'm good. And Jesus was constantly dealing with this issue with the legalistic crowd, with the Pharisees in particular, in which he would say, you miss the weightier issues of the law. So you're keeping all these laws, which some of them you've made up, but you're actually neglecting the heart of God. But they feel justified. In both lawlessness and legalism, this feels right for me. And you can be lost and headed to hell and feel good because you have the approval of a religious crowd. Or you can be someone who drifts into this and becomes prideful 
about where you think you stand with God. And this is what the circumcision party was doing, which again, sounds like the worst party ever. Like if there's one issue you wanna be known by, I don't think that's the one issue. Anyway, they were saying, yeah, the gospel, but you're not a Christian if you don't get circumcised. Circumcision is what justifies you. So look, a part of the reason all this happens is because the Bible says there will be transformation in the life of a believer. They were justified before Christ and there's a sanctification that takes place. There's a a glorification that takes place. Not like it should, like Jesus says the words, it will. The Bible says that several times. We will be transformed. We need to know that. We will be transformed. I mean, the message of the gospel is that a huge debt has been forgiven. I I want you to think about if you had a debt you could not repay in your life, a financial debt. let, Let me just say this. If somebody paid my mortgage off tomorrow, it would be transforming to me and my family. So now I want you to understand that we have this debt of sin that we could never pay back. Like when we really realize what it means, we're not gonna get to heaven. We have fallen short. And it's been paid for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is life-changing. But not only that, do we see reason for the change, but the Bible also tells us we will be transformed. Later, we're gonna get to Galatians 5, and it tells us about we don't walk in the flesh, but in the spirit. That we become people with, who have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. In James chapter two, the apostle says that we will have works with our faith. And so what happens here is we begin to say we need to measure this because there should be transformation, there should be fruit. And so let's, let's measure this. But Paul says in verse 17, but if... In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now, there is some challenge interpreting this verse. But here's what I believe Paul is saying here and ultimately what Paul is saying in Galatians. If we are saying that we are justified in Christ because we keep the law or standards... But then, upon investigation, we are actually sinners too. We are actually not keeping those standards. So like, I've seen on Twitter a lot lately because of some issues in Christian culture, people saying, you can't be a homosexual and be a Christian. And here's what they mean. They're saying that the basis of your salvation is your sexuality. They're saying this because there should be a God-centered sexuality from Christians. But what they're saying is if you don't have that in line, you can't be saved. So then if we begin to look into the people that are saying that, and we found out that some of them are divorced for unbiblical reasons. Some of them still lust. Some of them still look at pornography. Or I've noticed people say things like you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian. So the basis here is that if we are transformed by Christ, then our political decisions will reflect a Christ-centric morality. But if we then examine their life and realize there were decisions that they made that were not Christ-centric all the time. Or something I've heard about 
parents who neglect their children. And, you know, we've been foster parents for seven years, so that is something we are very familiar with. As I've heard people say, there's a special place in hell for them. We're saying, basically, the neglect of children, the neglect of what's right for children, is the basis of salvation. But then upon investigation, those who are saying that, we found out some of them put their career over their family. Some of them never took responsibility for discipling their children the way God has called us to do it. And so we dig and we find out that actually all of us who are saying those things, save, are actually falling short in the same way. So does that mean then that those who are saying these things save or don't save, who are falling short, that Christ is a servant of our sin? Certainly not. No. You see, the proof of justification isn't our ability to keep the laws or standards. The proof of our justification is the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ. Justification doesn't change the behavior. It changes the way the behavior is viewed. Our salvation is not conditioned upon our actions. It's conditioned upon Jesus' actions. But here's this tension. The Bible says we will be transformed. We shouldn't keep doing those things. Agreed. But if we're careful, if we're not careful, we will walk away from the transforming power of the gospel into man-made measures. And we'll begin to say, I'm righteous because I drink sweet tea instead of Long Island iced teas. Or those unrighteous people tried to buy Taylor Swift tickets, I had no problem buying Casting Crown tickets. Y'all are going on vacation. My family is going on a mission trip. Sometimes people are seriously like, the gospel transforming me is too much work, so I'm just gonna be weird and say that's Christ-like. I'm poking fun, but for real. What happens is we say, I'm saved because of how I'm building my life. But Paul says, verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul says, as Christians, we are saying, Jesus saves. Amazing grace. Jesus paid it all. Jesus is it. We tear down justification by works through the gospel. In the gospel, we are saying, my works don't justify me. Only Christ justifies me. And so if we begin to build on that, rebuild our lives, and the basis of our standing with God is how we're doing at building our lives, we just prove ourselves to be a transgressor. Pay attention to this. Because there is a draw to it. We need to be justified. We will be transformed. And when we don't see that taking place, we begin to look somewhere to feel like we're on the right track because we want to build ourselves up. We want 
to build ourselves up. We love to be our own saviors. We love to boast in what we do or do not do. We love to feel like we are just a good person. We take pride in being devout. We want to believe we are enough. And we want to get to that place where we feel like we have arrived. The tension is that we want to feel good about ourselves. And so this is why this drift away from the gospel happens. I've, I've shown this visual several weeks and I'll continue to show it. We'll show it again now. And, and it really is just showing you how this drift happens. The gospel is central in our lives. That's what saves us. And then we need to be justified so we want to feel justified. And we don't see the transformation taking place and so we, to build ourselves up, begin to walk into other measures that make us feel good about where we stand with God. So I'll kind of go through this. Traditionalism. Perhaps in this room, perhaps watching online, there are people who legitimately feel like they are closer to God because they participate in traditions of the church. Now, what is interesting is almost universally, in our context, the traditions they are talking about are not the traditions that are 2,000 years old. The traditions they're talking about are the traditions they're about 150 years old. So legitimately, we take pride in the fact that we are the Christians who sing the hymns that they sang during the Civil War. I feel closer and better in my walk because I still do those things. Or there are churches where truly, they have the carpet that was in style in the 1950s. And it makes them more righteous. I'm not making this up. Or maybe it's that drift towards moralism. Where we begin to say, because we do these things morally this way, we are the ones who are more mature in Christ. We don't homeschool anymore, so I can't make homeschool jokes. And I'm not saying that homeschooling is wrong. But there's a group who says we're better because we school our kids in this way. And it becomes a source of pride. Spiritual. Where they say we're the ones, we're feeling Jesus when we get to church. People are falling out. At church on Bay Shore, the only reason someone falls out is because their heart is something's wrong with them. And so they look down upon churches that aren't feeling it like they're feeling it. Or intellectualism. Where we tend to gravitate towards people who have the same kind of intellectualism as us. So it usually look, everybody looks exactly the same and has the same educational background, just being real here. And we begin to feel like we're better because we're part of a church like this. And we know these doctrines and we recite these things. Or ritualism. We feel like we are good with God because our 
preacher doesn't wear sneakers, he wears a big hat and a robe. Or progressivism. We're evolving with the times, and, and it's constantly evolving, and these other people are not, and so we begin to take pride in this. Or pragmatism. We can master these programs. I, I'll just speak to this right now. This is why a lot of people who have serious addiction problems gravitate towards churches centered around programs, and then they say, I used to be addicted to uh, drugs, and now I'm addicted to Jesus, and you're just addicted to a program. And once the program's gone, you're right back where you are. It's because the gospel isn't central in all of these things. And I'm not saying that programs are bad, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't constantly be evaluating how we're doing and progressing. I'm not saying that rituals are bad. I'm not saying that being smart is bad. I'm not saying that being in tune with the Spirit is bad. I'm not saying that morals are bad and the decisions you're making for your family are bad. I'm not saying traditions are bad, but here is what I'm saying. None of that saves us. Not even the law saves us. Look at what Paul says, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He says, I know the law. Paul knows it better than we do. And through it, I died to it so that I might live. To God. He uses Romans, he uses in Romans chapter 7 this, and he says, A woman whose husband dies is no longer bound to her husband. And so when we read the law and we die to the law, we are no longer bound to the law. Now, the law isn't bad. In fact, what the law does is it showed us that we are bad, and, and we needed to see that because it brings life. A lot of people look at the laws as if they're bad, but the law is like the diagnostic. Let's say that we are not feeling right. And we go to the doctor's office and they run some tests and we end up finding out, hey, we have a problem here. We don't kick the machine. The machine didn't do anything wrong. It just showed us what was wrong inside of us. The law reveals who we are and that we fall short and it reveals that we need life. The law though can't save, the machine can't save. We need salvation, we need a deliverer and that deliverer is Jesus. And so we die to ourselves and then Christians, we don't build ourselves back up because we have died to ourselves and we are now living in Christ Jesus. I Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Christianity is not centered around improvement. It is centered around identity. It's centered around identity. And if we take Christianity and we, we try to apply all the things of Christianity like a self-help program or a get better program, it will crush us. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. That crushes you if Christ isn't in you. Be a reflection of your heavenly father and your parenting is crushing if you don't have the heart of your heavenly father. Finances, giving, generosity. That's a reflection of his inexpressible gift for us, Paul says in Corinthians. 
being a part of the church. He died for the church. He gave himself up for the church. We're part of the body. Those are, that's weighty if we don't understand why we're part of the church and what it means to be a part of the church. And even evangelism seems like a task if the gospel isn't flowing in and through us. And so all these things that we're doing for Christ are happening because we understand what Christ has done for us. Obedience doesn't lead to salvation. Salvation leads to obedience. Obedience doesn't lead to salvation. Salvation leads to obedience. And so there are all these things Christians should do. We don't do those things to be saved. We are saved, so we do those things. Do you understand the difference? And teaching otherwise is a departure from the gospel. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He says, if we begin to base our righteousness on anything else other than Christ, we have departed from the gospel. There was There's no purpose for Christ if our righteousness is based on our morals, our spiritualism, our intellectualism, or whatever you might say. But we have to be aware. We have this desire to be built up. And so we will gravitate away from the gospel. And there are a lot of places we can land away from the gospel. We have uh, a a person who's been attending our church named Tara Beard and Um, she was brave enough to share her story of how this happened and how God has brought her out of that. And so um, I want you to hear that now. So let's, let's watch. Growing up, we actually were a part of a church denomination. Um, Honestly, if you would Google the name of this denomination and movement, um, you would find the word cult. <laughs> it, it was featured in um, Walter Martin's Kingdom of the Cults. And so there was a huge emphasis in that movement on the Old Testament and um, a lot about the law. And um, I perceived God really um, as very untouchable, um, almighty, um, you know, and, and someone that I, I couldn't have a relationship with. And, um, I actually growing up never heard, um, the story of Jesus. (laughs) There was so much emphasis on the old Testament, um, and the law and keeping the commandments, um, that I never heard the gospel message. At 14, uh, the church divided and split, and my parents actually stopped going. And so um, that's everything that I had known for so long um, was gone. And so I turned to the world. And um, for a pretty significant amount of time through high school and college, um, I lived like the world did. At 27, I met my husband now, and um, shortly uh, after we got married, and um, then I became pregnant, and um, that was 
a miracle to me. Um, and it really changed my life. And I started to have this feeling of, I can't be a mother without you, Lord, in my life. And so I heard the gospel message for the first time at 27 and was like, whoa, I've really been missing out on this Jesus. Um, why has no one told me about him? He's so incredible. And this story is so amazing. Um, and so I just was in, I was so in around 2015. Um, I was invited to a conference um, at a well-known um, church in the area who trains apostles and prophets. And um, it was a Bethel conference. And um, there I was introduced to their theology. And um, that changed the course of um, my walk with the Lord. I actually met um, a pastor there. Um, uh, her and her husband had just planted a church and um, they invited us to their church. Um, and so we joined that church and um, I became one of the leaders um, that really ushered that um, type of theology, Bethel's theology, into the church. We had a huge emphasis on healing, that it was always God's will to heal, um, signs, wonders, miracles, um, an experience or an encounter with the Lord was really prioritized, um, prophesying, um, teaching others to prophesy. And so um, I think that even um, throughout my childhood, um, coming from uh, really that place that was um, at the opposite end of the spectrum, all about law and um, obedience and um, the commandments, um, this was really on the other side of the spectrum. Um, and so I'm sure in a way there was, there was much of a, there was a draw to that. And two, in that movement, um, there is a lot of um, glorifying yourself and your gifts and your calling and your anointing and building each other up and um, the destiny on your life. And um, it really feeds the ego. And um, now I see, of course, there's a lot of pride behind that. Um, but that's what itches the ears <laughs> um, and makes it so um, inviting. Uh, I was actually uh, a part of this theology for eight years and um, I was um, one of the few that was 
allowed to um, speak from the platform and prophesy. I would have been called a prophet of the house um, and was heavily involved in deliverance ministry. I was trained by um, Bethel and their Sozo ministry. Um, and then about a year ago, a, almost a year ago, everything changed there. Uh, we had a pastor and um, his wife co-pastored and she not only was my pastor, but also a best friend. And she came to me um, one day and said that she had an, an encounter with the Lord and that the Lord released her from her marriage. And so that made me turn to myself and say, wait, if my best friend and pastor is elevating an encounter over the word of God, um, then that's what I do. And that's actually what everyone around me does. And um, it was like the Lord ripped off a blinder um, off of my eyes. I think it's important for people to realize that even at the beginning, after we came back um, from that conference and started um, kind of applying this theology and, and working it into our culture, um, it, didn't, it didn't start out this wild and crazy thing. It was gradual, it was a process. And I like to use the analogy of it it started out as like a snowball and honestly throughout the years it grew into the abominable snowman and before you know it your pastor and best friend is saying that she had an encounter and is being released from her marriage that didn't happen overnight it was a gradual adding on and feeding that more um, and, and those desires to experience more. And um, it, it just became something that is completely opposite from the gospel. You add so much to the gospel that it's no longer the gospel anymore. In fact, we, towards the end, um, the gospel message was not even being preached and proclaimed. It was just chaos. So now on this side of being out of this movement for almost a year, um, God's word is just so incredible. <laughs> and um, man, I'm learning so much and I'm so thankful um, that there's no extra to the gospel, um, that there's no add-ons, there's no striving, um, that I get to rest in the gospel message.
I am definitely sure of my salvation <laughs> and that God will uh, be with me and see me through to the end. There is no doubt that he is with me and no matter what happens, um, the Lord is, is so gracious and so merciful. I really, I really appreciate Tara's willingness to share her story. And I believe that throughout Christianity, there are people who are buying into a lie in some shape or form that we need more than Christ to feel good about who we are and where we are. And the gospel tells us that the Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for our justification and our transformation. And the Christian should look nowhere else than to the gospel, to the cross of Jesus Christ every day of our life. Do not hear me incorrectly. This is not an appeal for you to look at church on Bayshore and say church on Bayshore has it right. This is an appeal for you to look to Jesus and see that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And there is nothing that brings us closer to God. The cross does it all. And maybe you're here today and you've really never encountered the depth of the gospel. I mean, like, maybe someone asked you when you were a kid, do you want to go to hell where they scream at you and there's fire? Or do you want to go to heaven where there's ponies and angels? And you were like, I don't really like ponies, but that sounds a lot better. They don't serve breakfast in hell, I hear. And so I want to go to heaven. And so you said, I'll be a Christian. That's, that's not encountering the gospel. I have a bunch of kids in my home. You guys know that. And so I watch kids' movies and don't really get to watch many movies other than that. And one of the movies that has circulated throughout my parenthood has been the Toy Story series. And um, I was kind of upset when Toy Story 4 came out, not going to lie, because it was done, right? Like, there was closure. And then they had Toy Story 4, and who's this Bonnie chick? And anyway, okay. <laughs> but there's such a powerful message in Toy Story 4, because Bonnie, the little girl, creates out of trash this spoo spork called Forky. If you're familiar with it, you know, it's just her little, there it is. That's her creation. And Forky, like, just continues to want to go back to the trash because that's where he came from. And Woody, throughout the whole movie, is trying to help Forky understand you're created with a purpose. And so going back to the trash might feel more comfortable, but that's not who you are in Christ. And what I would just suggest is we might always think of the trash as going back to a hard life, but I think sometimes we go to religion for comfort. We go to achievement and we mask it with Christianity for comfort. But here's the gospel. 
God created you. God sent Christ on the cross. And when he was on the cross, it wasn't just noble. You were on his mind. You need to be justified. And he did it for you. You are that valuable to him. And if you will let that take root in your heart, maturity in Christ is not a bunch of do's and don'ts and all this. It's understanding that deeper and deeper every day that Jesus has paid it all, that his grace is amazing, and the Christian life is a response to that. May we respond now. Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for the depth of grace. Thank you for the freedom of grace. God, may we rest in who we are in you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.